Welcome to the Personal Equity Podcast, where we discuss investing in yourself and building personal equity. We take a deep dive with our guests into their stories, careers, and lives from both a personal and financial perspective. I'm your host, Mike Troxel. Today, we'll be speaking with Luke Wicks, who is the assistant basketball coach at University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. In our conversation, we covered leadership, recruiting, and turning around a Division I basketball program. The links and information in the episode can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. Hi, Luke. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me. Look forward to it. I'd love to start with today, if you could give listeners an idea of where you are now um, and what you're up to professionally. Well, you know, as of right now, I think we're all in in the midst of adjusting to life with the the COVID-19 virus. But uh, in regards to the job, I'm currently an assistant basketball coach at at the University of Pacific in Stockton, California. We're a Division One institution and, and compete in the West Coast Conference. So um, run everywhere from from Gonzaga, University of Portland, St. Mary's College to the Bay Area where Santa Clara and San Francisco, um, Brigham Young University, BYU is also in there. And then uh, Loyola Marymount, Pepperdine and University of San Diego. Uh, so about 10 team league out there. And I've been doing that for about four years now. So four years at Pacific and you've been coaching for how long? Uh, I've been, you know, I've been coaching at the collegiate level, uh, just specifically basketball for 12 years. So um, started at junior college in Wyoming, Sheridan Junior College, which unfortunately just decided to pull their funding, which uh, is not going over very well. It was a pretty storied um, program out there and a top 25 program year in and year out. And a lot of great players and a lot of great memories from that place, but they just decided to close their doors and hopefully that community can come together and, and raise some money and, and bring back their athletic programs because it does bring a lot of diversity to, uh, you know, that community and even that state. You, you wouldn't believe it, but, you know, Wyoming doesn't have a ton of diversity in it uh, in terms of different racial classes and everything. But uh, from there, after my two years, I, I took a job at the University of San Francisco um, was there for ten years or for six years, and uh, had a had a wide variety of different jobs throughout my time there. And in 2016, that came to an end, and and that's where I landed at, at Pacific. Yeah, and I'm glad you listed some of those universities in the WCC, the West Coast Conference, because it seems like basketball is interesting where people aren't as familiar with some of the conferences, but they are familiar with the tournament teams, right? Because everybody's filling out brackets every year. So you listing out, you know, for common folk, West Coast Conference might not ring a bell, but when you list a few of those teams, a lot of those teams in that conference do ring a bell. So it seems like a pretty tough conference. Well, you'll understand that a little bit, you know, being an East Coast guy yourself. uh, If you talk to people on the East Coast and say West Coast Conference, it just kind of doesn't it doesn't jar anything because you have to stay up. You know, sometimes our games tip at 8 p.m. and that's 11 p.m. out there. And there's not a lot of people on a Thursday night that are staying up, you know, scrolling through ESPN or, or CBS Sports 
at 11 p.m. just waiting to watch West Coast Conference basketball. So you're right, they, they don't have a great frame of reference, but then once you start listing the teams with the, with the Gonzaga, which is a household name since the early 2000s, and obviously BYU has a national brand um, because of their religious affiliation and, and their success they've had in the past. And even now, you know, St. Mary's College, who's been to the, been to the NCAA tournament here a, a handful of times in the last 10 years, they've, they've started to, to gain a little national recognition, but um, it is, it is interesting when you talk to people from, even from Midwest, you know, I'm from, I'm from Wyoming in the mountain time zone and it can get late for people. So um, the tournament teams obviously have it, but it, it's a heck of a basketball conference when you, when you look at it from a, from a top to bottom standpoint, I think it was rated, um, the, the eighth toughest conference in the nation this past year. And it's been like that for the last two years. Wow. Eighth, eighth toughest. And so outside of those big five, it's, it would be one of the toughest. Yeah. So in, in basketball, there's, we kind of call it like there's, there's the power six because the big East is put in there with basketball. And obviously the big East doesn't have a lot of football uh, schools out there, but the big East will be one of your predominantly, um, stellar basketball conferences. And then usually it, it falls anywhere between, uh, you know, the A-10, the Atlantic 10 uh, will have some pretty high ratings. I mean, Dayton this year was a, was a top five team all year uh, and they're a very strong basketball conference. And then it'll usually flow down into the West Coast Conference. So the Mountain West uh, will also be uh, right up there amongst the top eight. So you've been in coaching since you graduated from college. So you, when you were in school, was there ever any doubt of you going into coaching or going into another type of career, or were you always pretty zeroed in on on this? You know, it, it's funny that I'm where I'm at today because I really had no intention in in coaching basketball uh, growing up and even being in college. So I really wanted to kind of do a you know a personal training type thing, uh, not with any sports specific, but more so into, you know, weight training and health and exercise science. So that's kind of what I went to school for. And um, when I was getting my master's while I was playing, uh, I got a personal training certification. And right afterwards, I, I had a couple opportunities, you know, my college coach the entire time was like, you need to coach, you need to coach, you need to coach. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to, you know, I want to do my own thing, want to have my own business and kind of run my own fitness facility. Uh, which is essentially a form of coaching. I think every every profession you're in has some form of coaching because it's all about relationship building and being able to relate and teach the people beneath you what you want them to do uh, to be successful. But I uh, never really had a, a want or a need to be a basketball coach. Um, after graduation, I looked at jobs in, in Houston, Texas, and in Philadelphia. Um, and it just didn't seem right at the time. So, you know, August rolls around and you don't have a job out of college and you're kind of kind of doing some odd jobs here and there. And someone, you know, I had a really good friend of mine that got a head coaching job at the junior college that I spoke about Sheridan Junior College. And he said, hey, I want you to come be my assistant. And I said, no, I don't think I want to do that. And uh, he recruited me hard enough and things fell into place where it ended up being an all right opportunity. And I said, well, I can do this for a year or two and, and just absolutely fell in love with the relationship building and, and the process and, and building a team and developing relationships with the guys on your team and recruiting and everything that it all entails. That's super interesting. So I mean, fast forwarding to today, can you imagine doing anything else? 
You know, it's funny because you've had a lot of time to reflect during this virus, uh, you know, because we've been our, our student athletes, they, the season got shut down on us. They had to go back home. They left campus. So we've been working remotely. Um, so you do have a little bit of time to, to reflect. You're not on the court with the guys. And, you know, I've always said that, shoot, if, and it's never been about the money for, for a guy like me. And if you get into coaching, I guess that's one of the common myths that, you know, people say, oh, I'd love to get into coaching because I can make so much money. It's like, no, that's, that's not the case. Because if you spent the amount of time you did on any other business venture, you would be a lot richer than you do about spending the amount of time you do coaching. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people will think, oh, it's just, show up to the games or coach or show up to the practice and coach. And now this is a 24 seven thing. You're, you're constantly recruiting kids to come play for your program. You're constantly checking in on the kids that, that you have in your program. You're making sure they're healthy. You're making sure they're comfortable. Uh, you know, acclimation period, being away from home, not getting to play as many minutes as they wanted. Uh, girlfriend broke up, but you know, you're their support system. You become a, a father figure essentially to all these young men and, your number one goal is to try and make them out to be a functioning member of society when they're done playing basketball. And it can, it can wear on you. I mean, all those parents out there know what, know what it's like to be a, to be a father or mother and, and this stuff wears on you. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that because I think there's a lot of professions like that or even jobs or companies where it's really glorified, but there are, you know, there's a lot of challenges. Like for example, even if you're, in the NBA making $20 million a year, you're still on the road, you know, half the year, you're still away from your family all the time. You have maybe a ton of media appearances. Like there's still drawbacks to everything. I don't care where you work or what you do. Would you mind talking a little bit about sort of the early stages of career, your career, what those challenges were like? Um, because I imagine being an assistant coach at a junior college in Wyoming like you sort of mentioned, is not the, you know, you're not doing it for the money. And even beyond that, somebody who is trying to break into the division one ranks, it's not like you're, uh, you know, you're not, you're not printing money. Uh, so would you mind talking a little bit about sort of the challenges there? Yeah. I think that, you know, everyone gets into coaching probably because they have a love for the game or they got a passion for the game. Um, but we always kind of say in the, at the collegiate level, no matter what level you're at, junior college, division two, NAI, division three, division one, probably 10% of your job is, is coaching basketball. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd love to say it's more, but, but there's a lot of other things that go into it. Um, and especially, you know, you, you get into it and you're going to have to suck scum at some point, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to grind your way through it. And I know grind is such a cliche word now, but I mean, you're going to have to make some sacrifices and what are you willing to sacrifice in order to get to your end goal is something you got to look at because, you know, I take this job at Sheridan junior college as the assistant and it's me and one other guy. We have two guys on staff. Now we've got to manage 15 players. All right. We've got to do all the recruiting. We've got to do all the budgets. We've got to do all the meals. We've got to do all the road, you know, all the, all the um, travel itineraries. Uh, you got to do your own fundraising because you got to raise money. Um, so, you know, you're doing guys laundry, you're doing the team's laundry uh, after practices. I'm living on campus because I don't have an, I don't make enough money to get a, an apartment or a house. I'm essentially getting about $5,000 for the year 
Um, I only get to, to eat enough because I get an on-campus meal plan. So now I'm having to eat in the cafeteria from time to time too. And let me tell you, you know, God bless the cafeteria workers, but it, you know, when you're at a small college or a junior college, the cafeterias aren't the best, best places to eat. I mean, you're not looking at five course meals. Um, so it can be difficult at times. It can be trying, trying, you know, you're, you're basically on call 24 seven. Um, and you're expected to, to do everything you can to help that program run. And, it, and it's you and one other guy. So, um, you know, you're driving the bus, you're driving six hours to and from games in the middle of the night and, and you get into Wyoming and there's snowstorms and you can't see the side of the road. Um, so there's a lot of trials and tribulations, but all those things, you know, they lead you to where you want to go. And then, from there, you know, a lot of people say, well, I want to be this assistant, then I want to jump right into a division one assistant. Well, you know, if you played at a big time level, sometimes people can skip steps. And that's in, in, in any business, you know, if you have, if you know the right people or, or come from the right family, or, you know, you have enough people funding you, you might be able to start your own business and go off and do your own entrepreneurial stuff. But, um, you know, a guy like me that played a division two basketball, I'm from Wyoming, so I don't have a huge recruiting base. Um, I got to, I got to kind of cut my teeth. So two years out of it, uh, Rex Walters at, at the university of San Francisco, they have a video coordinator spot open up. And I remember talking to him throughout probably a two month timeline. And I was like, Hey, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And he kept saying, listen, I don't think you understand. You're going to be asked to do a lot of things and I'm only going to be able to get you about $10,000. And I got the tax return from my, my 2010 tax return because I kind of keep it as like a, as a trophy or whatnot or, you know, kind of a safe haven. And I'm like, I think I may be the only person that's ever been able to live in San Francisco off of $10,000. <laughs> so, you know, you just find ways and you make sacrifices for it. So could I go out and eat? No, I had to eat a lot of peanut butter and jelly. I had to go back to college days. You know, you got to figure it out. Find a way or make a way. That's the bottom line. So, um there are some trials and tribulations you go through uh, in this journey, but at the same point, I think, you know, those things when people say it's going to be easy, it's never going to be easy. That's great. I mean, those are some great descriptions and, and great visuals. I mean, it's, uh, it sounds really cool coaching basketball, but if you tell someone, Hey, you got to do the laundry, you got to drive the bus, you got to do the fundraising, you got to eat in the cafeteria and you're going to make five grand, not a month, but for the year. A lot of people would not sign up for that. Um, but yeah, you, know, you know, obviously you, you put in the time, you eat scum, as you said, you, you climb up the ranks. And, um, obviously it's well published that, you know, coaches at the, you know, D1 level or professional level, they, you know, they are eventually able to feed themselves sort of going, going through that process. Were there a lot of people that, helped you out uh, just sticking sort of with the on the survival component uh thus far because i know you know as you pro progressed in your career and i've learned a bit about your story i know you've been quick to help others that were sort of in those positions that you were just just describing whether it's helping them out you know find a place to live or whatnot were there a lot of people that did the same with you you know i i think that that a lot of it in, in coaching is you know, it's a, you just want to, you want to be there for people. And, and if you're in it for the right reasons, like I said, it's not about the money. It's not about status. It's not about that. You can impact people's lives no matter where you go. And, you know, as you move up in levels, you obviously have a platform to try and help people. And, and that's one of the things that was kind of instilled with me through my college coach, Don Meyer. 
I remember when he would have his free fall clinic, he would invite, it was free for everyone. There'd be 250 coaches from Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, Iowa, all over the country would fly in and he'd say, Hey, uh, if you need a place to stay, you can stay in my basement, but you got to bring your own sleeping bag and you got to eat your own food. Cause I can't have you eat me out of house and home, but he would stay up. You know, he'd probably have 10 to 15 people staying there. He'd stay up all night talking hoops with them. And then they'd get up the next morning, they'd come and they'd watch us work out and watch practices. And, you know, he was, he was an ambassador for the game. And, and that's kind of why I love it is because you get a lot of people, like you said, that, that helped me out. You know, when I first moved out to San Francisco, Coach Walters let me live in his basement for three months. I quickly was like, man, I got to get out of my, my boss's basement because this is, this, is, this is wearing on me. But if he doesn't allow me to do that, I'm probably not able to make that transition. Um, you know, same thing with, we get, we get let go in 2016 and, and coach Walters makes a call to a former, you know, um, you know, they played against each other and Damon Stoudemire says, Hey, I got a guy that would be pretty good for your staff, knows the league, um, will work, will do anything that you ask him to do. Uh, and you know, coach Stoudemire, I, I didn't know him from, from the, from, you know, as a celebrity movie star, you know, all I knew of him was he was a heck of a basketball player and I enjoyed watching him play. And, you know, we had two conversations and he offered me a job. So I've been extremely lucky in my path. And that's why, you know, I love to give back to people. And anytime people call or text or need anything, you know, I'm going to try and do everything I can to help them and make calls for them. Um, especially if I know they have high character and they're going to work because, you know, the, the hard work kind of takes care of a lot of things. When I first took that job at San Francisco, I was willing to, you know, if you needed me at midnight, I was there at midnight. You needed me at 2 a.m., I was there at 2 a.m. If you needed me to do whatever you needed me to do, I was going to do it because that's the price to success. You know, that's that's the path there. You got to be willing to do anything and everything. And um, it, when I see people like that, I'll do anything for that. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up. And that's sort of, you know, some of the basis of, of this conversation is sort of different ways you can build equity and invest in yourself. And being a, an assistant coach or a video coordinator, you're not, you know, you're not getting necessarily, you know, you're not getting stock or equity. And, um, at the lower levels, you're not getting much pay as you described, but there's other ways you can really invest in your career. And it sounds like, You've done a lot of that as far as answering the phone at, at midnight at 2 a.m. Um, as you mentioned, coaching is maybe 10% of your job. And it, you know, it struck me when you said that. It's like, yeah, it, it makes sense. I guess it's like 40 minutes. Uh, you know, you coach for 40 minutes every couple of days. Um, but are there, are there any, any other ways you can think about that you've, uh, as, as far as like sweat equity or time that you've sort of allocated time or energy? into advancing your career? Yeah, I, I think that every time we kind of go through the off season, I'll try and, um, you know, expand my knowledge of the game or just learn how to do something new because at the end of the day, you know, you, we're, we're teaching, right? We're teaching the game. We're teaching life lessons through the game. We're trying to help these young men grow. Uh, we're trying to build a unit. We're trying to build a, a group of unselfish leaders who are, who, who are essentially servant leaders trying to put the betterment of the team before the betterment of their individual self. Um, and when you do that, whether it's in, in basketball life or business, you know, you're going to have a successful team out there. You're going to have a successful business as everyone is on the right path and on the right track. So 
I think the biggest thing is, is you got to invest in yourself, like you said, and, and whether that's going through and, and there's a whole bunch of different coaching clinics. There's a couple different, you know, over the final four weekend, there's this huge basketball convention where you can go learn and, and, you know, have all these different coaches are talking. So if you want to learn about um, different ball screen coverages, you can go and, and learn about all the different ball screen coverages that all these different teams are doing. Um, you can, and, and the biggest thing in this profession is just learning from some of the guys that have success. And there's so many different styles of play, right? There's so many different ways to play the game of basketball that there's not one right way to do it, but you have to find the way that you want to do it. And, and most importantly, you've got to find the way that you can teach it because if you can't teach it, they can't learn it. Right. And if they don't learn it, it does no good. You can yell and scream and hoot and holler and show everybody. If you can't break it down and you can't teach it to these young men and they can't take what you've taught them and execute it on the game, on the on the playing floor or the playing field or wherever it is, you're not going to have success and you're going to get frustrated. So there's a ton of great ideas out there, but you just can't take them all. You got to you got to essentially, you know, adopt the ones that work for you and adapt it to your system. Um, but you know, there's, there's coaching clinics, there's different webinars. Uh, now, obviously, since we can't be face to face, the, the zoom meetings are great. Just talking with other coaches, what worked for them? How do they go about it? And there's so many different facets of this, of this profession, right? There's a recruiting aspect of it. So how are you, how are you giving your recruiting pitch? What are you doing to show student athletes different things? How do you, how do you bridge this conversation with a student athlete? How do you talk to their parents about this? Who have you? How do you develop the relationship with the high school coach, with the AAU coach, with the aunt, the uncle? How are you surrounding the kids? Those are all conversations you can have about recruiting. And, you know, we talked about the basketball side of it. And then you can say, how are you monitoring your kids' academics? How do you make sure that they're going to class on time? How do you make sure what resources do you have or have you guys put in place in order to help them be successful, not only in the classroom, on the court, but in the community as well? So. Um, I think just peer to peer is, is huge in this profession and, and in life. You know, if you if you can find a mentor, a person that can really sit there and break things down for you and, and help you talk through a lot of things, it's going to be in your best interest. Because once you stop learning, you're dead. You know, you just everything's going to evolve. You got to keep learning. Once you think you know it all, you're in trouble. You said a few interesting things there, and uh, you know, it's not surprising, but there are so many parallels, not just to life but business and something you said that was interesting. There's so many different ways to play basketball and there really are. But if you don't believe in something and if you can't teach it, they're not going to learn it. And, it, and that applies to any ser sort of service or product maybe or strategy that you're selling or trying to pitch to customers or clients. Or um, And if you don't believe it, if you don't believe what you're selling, then then they're not going to buy it. And that, that applies to, you know, you can't, show up to your team meeting with some really unique niche method of playing defense when you don't believe it deep down and your players are not going to believe it. And we always say that the kids can see right through it. You know, they can, they can tell when, when you're trying to fake something and, and, you know, we always kind of had a, a saying that said, you can't fake the harvest. You can, you can fake going out there and planting seeds, but at some point, you got to go out there and harvest the crop, and you can't fake that. So if you haven't put the time in, or you haven't nurtured that 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 crop to where it needs to be, you're not going to have success with it. You know, you're not going to get it. So you can't fake that harvest out there. Yep, yep. And I can attest to the other side of that as well. You know, I, I had a lot of great 
coaches myself, and I can re- recall times where it seemed like, you know, the coach was still trying to figure out what, you know, what exactly he wanted us to do. And, uh, and that just made, made it confusing for everybody as a whole. You mentioned, uh, mentors and something worth highlighting in your career, as far as I know, as far as playing in college and your coaching career thus far, you've had a, you got an A, you know, an A list, um, group of people you've played under or coached under as far as Don Meyer. It'd be interesting if you could shed some light on him as well. Rex Walters, as you mentioned, played uh, in the NBA, played at Kansas. And then Damon Stoudemire, which uh, is probably the, one of the mo- more household names on that list, you know, played in the NBA, was Rookie of the Year, I believe. Is that sort of – how much of that is coincidence, um, good fortune – or and also, how much of that has that sort of affected and, and accelerated your career? That's a it's a great question. I mean, I think all three of them have influenced my career in in different ways uh, because they all three approached this career and their careers in different ways. So I've taken a little bit of everything from all three of them um, to kind of round me out, and 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 it really, you know, Coach Meyer. Uh, obviously playing five years for him. He was one of the all-time winningest coach. He was the all-time winningest coach in NCAA history for, for a long period there before Coach K took him over. But, um, you know, w- wouldn't be the most household name, but around coaching circles, uh, they'll know who he is. Yeah, he, he passed away in 2014, uh, but com, heck of a thing to, to look at. The website still runs. It's got a ton of handouts and different things that he believes in that will help not only coaches but parents and players as well. Um, just one of the one of the first guys ever to to run camps in the summer and, and make instructional VHSs. And you know I'm dating myself a little bit there with some VHSs, but um, he, he had the old VHS tapes out there. But just was a guy that could really relate and really teach the game of basketball and really truly cared about his players and, and the well-being of his program. And that's kind of where I, he instilled all that kind of servant leadership and, you know, you're not doing what's best for yourself. You're doing what's best for the program and the team. And, um, you know, if you put others first, you're going to ultimately feel better about yourself. So I uh, highly recommend people researching him. He's got, if you just Google his name too, he's got a couple uh, videos out there on, he won a, won an ESPY for perseverance um, in probably 2011 or 12 I got, got into a serious car accident and cut off the lower leg, but you know, he's a tough sucker. So that's kind of where we get a little bit of that. And then uh, obviously being able to, to coach under Rex Walters for six years was, was very much a, a, a great basketball mind having an NBA pedigree uh, played for a long time. Um, and then to watch him evolve as a coach too. When I first, when I first got with him, uh, he was a fireball, you know, and, and, and he, he let a lot of things that he couldn't affect kind of, uh, you know, take grasp of him. But he matured as a coach and he evolved. And I think that's such a huge thing for any coach and any person that, you know, as the time changes, you have to adapt and you have to evolve as a, as a coach. Um, but one of the, the best in terms of, you know, teaching the game and, and breaking things down and, and understanding that repetition you know, you got to see the skill, you got to feel the skill, and then you have to re- 
repeat that skill. You know, so you're trying to do that to ad nauseum because the repetition of a skill is the only way you're going to master that craft. And he, and he would drill that in. We would have long practices and we would play hard. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, he was very good at that. And then with, with Coach Stoudemire, who I work with now, you know, he's, he does such a good job of filtering things, right? So whereas, uh, you know, Coach Meyer was micromanaging a little bit of everything and even everything, how you played the game of basketball to, you know, your appearance, all those different things. Coach Meyer would micromanage, um, which made him great. And that was his personality. Coach Stoudemire is great at filtering through the things that are truly important. What do we need to do and what do we really need to focus on here to be successful? And he's very good at allowing people to excel in their roles and he puts them in their roles where they're going to excel. So he doesn't set them up for failure. So those are some, some of the things that, you know, sometimes you'll get people that I, I need you to do this. I need you're going to do this or you're not going to play. And it's like, no, what do you do? Great. And how can we put that into our system to help you excel and help us excel? Because if you're running a business, right, Michael, you're running a business and, you know, I got an accountant trying to do marketing. That's not going to work. And I got a guy that wants to do marketing, doing accounting. That's not going to work either. So you got to shift those things around. But, um, you know, I've been truly blessed to be able to work with those guys. And, you know, whether it's luck or whether it's, you know, I, I think it kind of comes down to you, you. Sometimes you build your own luck, right? At the end of the day, uh, people want to be around people that want to work and, and they're successful and they got the right mindset and they got the similar mindsets. And I think all three of those guys that I was blessed to have in my life <clears throat> as mentors uh, have those similar mindsets. They want to succeed. They want to work and they want to get things done. I love it. So being so with Coach Dottemeyer now being, uh, like you mentioned, putting guys in their positions of strength, does that open up your recruiting pool a little bit? And, and what I mean by that is um, a lot of pro some programs maybe will recruit for a specific type of player and others may recruit for as long as it's a good player and they'll find a way to fit them in to the system. Do you guys have a, a, an opinion on that or, or a method there? Well, I think that kind of goes back to what you can teach and what style of play you, you, you're comfortable with. Right. So um, it does open up a recruiting base because there's a lot of people that say, Oh, you know, I don't want a guy if he can't shoot. Well, we'll take that guy because if he can, if he can rebound every basketball on the court, it doesn't matter. You know, you're not going to make every shot you take statistically speaking, you're, you're probably only going to make 30%, 30 to 40% of your first, first attempted shots on the, on the court. So if you're only getting one crack at it and we got a guy that's going to clean a Dennis Rodman, that's going to clean up everything. That guy has value. That guy has a lot of value because now you're not getting your extra shots because your second and third attempts at the goal, you're probably going to shoot upwards of 50, 60, 70%, maybe even 80% on your third attempt. So um, that, that goes back to it does open up a little bit of a, a recruiting pool for us because, you know, a lot of people look at that guy that, that can't shoot or can't dribble and, and say, oh, man, we, can, we can't have that guy out here. He's going to be, you know, he's going to be a liability offensively, whereas we'll say, hey, he's going to be great defensively if he can shut down the other team's best player and he's going to be a monster on the boards. Number one, get us every defensive rebound and number two, get us second possessions offensively. We'll take that guy. I have a question about, about time management. And I could see it being very difficult in your position. And it could really 
if you have any tips or tricks, it could totally apply to anyone in any career or business. And what I mean by that, it's, you know, you're, you're in the middle of, of the season, right? So you're in the middle of coaching your team, your guys. At, but at the same time, you're focused on maybe the next opponent, right? You're watching film, preparing for that. And at the same time, you're also recruiting for like next year's team. So how do you time block that, but also mentally block that? Uh, do you have any methods there? I think in, in everything that you do, you got to have some type of routine, right? And and if you have a routine, that's going to help you be a little bit more organized. That's going to help you not seem so scatterbrained. Um, now, obviously, your routine from time to time is going to get thrown off because emergencies are going to pop up. Um, but the routine is, is the biggest thing. And, and I think having some type of organizational structure, okay, whether it's a, whether it's a planner pad that has, you know, I'm going to plan out the next day, the night before, and I'm going to plan out my week on Sunday night. So Sunday nights, a lot of the times I'll sit down and I'll plan out all the major things that I already know I have throughout the week, right? So I know that on Tuesday we play so-and-so. Um, on Wednesday we have a practice at this time, but then Thursday we're going to fly out at, at noon. And then we play again on Friday, right? So all all your macro things on Sunday night. And then after that on Sunday, I'm going to plan out everything that's micro on Monday. Okay, what do I have to do recruiting-wise? Well, who do I need to call? Who do I need to touch base with? Because every day I know I have to do something recruiting-wise, whether that's send out some texts to some kids, get on the phone with a few people, whatever it is. You know, uh, find a find a video I can send out to everyone. Um, or maybe that's even just going through a database and, and getting a collection of new names of knowing people that I got to call and follow up with leads on. Um, so I'll, I'll list out a whole bunch of calls on Monday and then, well, I know I got the scout on Friday, so I got to start watching games. So I'm going to block this two hours on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for, to finish out this scout. So, um, just having something that's going to keep you detailed and keep you organized is probably the biggest thing. Cause the, you would be surprised at how many people, you know, they won't write things down. Uh, and if you don't write things down, you're not going to remember them. I don't care how much you, you say, you know, I, I can remember I got the uh, elephant, you know, I got the elephant memory, man. I got the photographic memory. It's just not going to happen. You got to write things down and you got to have somewhere where you can see it visually. So I think that's probably the biggest thing for me in terms of success and time management. Um, because you don't just want to be bouncing from things to things. You want to slot out time for it. You got to know when you can get things done. You got to allow allow yourself enough time to do it. So it sounds like you have a pretty good system. And are you like how committed are you to staying within that system versus, like you said, sort of blocking off those uh, maybe disruptions? Like for example, if you're in, you know, watching game film and that's sort of your two hour window to do that, and then you get in you know, an email or something from a, a recruit, are you able to block that off and say, you know, in two hours, it's going to be my recruiting time? Or how, how do you manage things like that or disruptions? Yeah, you know, the email, the email is a little bit easier, um, because you can kind of say, all right, I can, I can hit that in these next three hours or these next two hours. Um, sometimes there's going to be calls that come up where you've been trying to get a hold of someone. And, you know, you, you haven't been able to get a hold of them and they call you back. So, you know, you're going to have to have some flexibility and that's where that comes in. And um, at the other times, you know, with 
people with kids, you're going to have to have flexibility. If your kid gets sick and you got to go pick them up from school or, you know, you, he gets in an accident, something happens. Um, those are all different things. So you're not going to just, Hey, this is what time this is. And this is the only way that it's going to make it happen. Like, I don't think in this profession you can compartmentalize that much. You can't be, what, what do they call that? Type A. You can't be type A, you know, the entire time. Now it's great to be type A to be able to plan the stuff out, but you have to be able to be flexible and and use your you know the time that you have and be efficient with the time that you have. So um, if a call comes up or a kid comes in and says, "Hey, coach, I want to get an extra workout in," we're going to the court with those guys. So you have to be flexible in that sense. Like that, those are your most important people. Whether whoever you're recruiting, like recruiting is the lifeblood of your program, but your most important people are the ones that are in the program with you because those are the ones that are here and now. Yeah, that can totally apply to so many people in so many businesses, right? As far as you are, you know, you might be growing a business or hoping for new customers, but at the same time, you want to really prioritize your existing clients or existing customers. Well, and, and you know that, that, it, you know, if, you, if you're not going to put forth the effort to keep your clients happy that you have right now, they're going to say, well, what the heck, man? Like, why, why am I hiring you? Why are you not working for me anymore? All you did, you, you honeymooned me, you married me, and then you got rid of me and you moved on to the next. So I think there's a, there's a delicate balance there that you have to have. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's one, one of my personal rules. Like if, if I have my phone around me and there's a client calling, I'm, I'm answering it unless I'm, you know, unless I'm in the emergency room or something, I'm answering that. Um, you know, that's what, that's what they're going to, to Pacific for. That's what those, you know, those guys are going there for you guys. And, uh, same with my clients or anybody else. They are there for, um, for that person or to, to get that product or that service. And, and if you're not going to fulfill your end of the bargain, then hey, that's, uh, people can leave or transfer or there's a whole slew of options. Well, that's, that's, that's great. You said that too, in terms of if you're not going to hold up your end of the bargain, because, you know, the one of the things that, that I think is, and I talked to a lot, I was just having a conversation with a guy whose, whose son has played lacrosse and we were talking about the recruiting process. And it's so interesting to me just how, you know, some people will just say whatever they want to say to get you there. Right. And, and there's probably some companies out there that, that will say whatever they got to say to get you to sign on the dotted line. And then you get there and you're like, well, this service sucks. Or, you know, we, we tell them whatever they want to hear. Hey, you're going to play 40 minutes a game. You're going to play the point guard when you're, you know, you're a five man, you know, just so we can get you there. And then you get here and it's not what it is. We've been compromised. So now our reputation is skewed as recruiters or as a business. And now we have no trust. So no matter what, if you like it there, I'm not going to be able to coach you because I've lied to you. You know, I, I've told you something that it wasn't. So we refuse to do that. I refuse to do that. I'm going to, you know, I tell people on the front end, I'm going to be completely honest with you through this whole process. Now, if, if you don't like it and there's some things that probably you don't want to hear by all means, but if you don't like, if you don't want to come here because I'm telling you the truth, you're not going to make it here even if you did come here. And clearly you guys are doing something right. Uh, I was looking at your records before we we jumped on the call here and it looks like the first your, your records almost inverted your first season you guys were five and 22 coming off um you know some years of or you had some years of reduced scholarships and then this past year it was almost the opposite 23 and 9 so are there any other sort of big items that you guys are focused on as a staff or like culture wise because it seems like you're you know the record speaks for itself. You're doing the right thing. 
Yeah, you know, we had, we had a heck of a year this past year. It was it was the most wins since the the 0506 season out here. So 15 wins. It was the in, in 23. You know, in 15 years, the most wins. It was you know, 23 wins was the most since since 05. And man, we did a lot of great things, and it was kind of a culmination of things. So the first three years that we were out here, we were on we were on NCAA probation from from some previous staff stuff that we inherited. So we had a reduction of scholarship. We had a reduction of recruiting days. Um, we we had a lot of things going against us. Um, but at the same point, we knew we had a vision and what we wanted to build out here. And our second year, we had a really good year in the not in the in the WCC. We ended up finishing 500 in the WCC, and that was the most wins they've ever had since rejoining the WCC. Um, and then, you know, obviously with some different transfer rules and stuff, some guys graduated and left. And that's just the landscape of college basketball now. So we took a step back in year three uh, while still on probation. And then year year four here, we got all of our scholarships back. We had a great returning core group that we loved. And we brought in some guys that, that really bought into what we wanted to do. And, you know, we played 13 guys. There's not a lot of programs out there that will say they played 13 guys. We played 13 or I excuse me, we played 12 guys because we had uh, one kid injured. We played 12 guys religiously. So uh, it was a, a next man up mentality. And, and some nights it was, it was, you know, number 23's night. And some nights it was number five's night. It just didn't matter. Everyone was so happy that we were having success and we were winning that they didn't care about their individual accolades or, or who was scoring 20 points a game. It was like, are we winning basketball games? And that's something that as a staff, we really wanted to prioritize in terms of the mindset of the guys we bring in and preaching that day in and day out. That's really interesting. And I can see that being really attractive uh, from a recruiting standpoint. Obviously, everybody wants to be the starting point guard and the MVP. But the fact that you have that depth and you're willing to play your entire bench, your entire roster, it's uh, it almost sends the message you know, hey, if you come here and you put in the work, you hold up your end of the bargain, you know, you're likely to find some court time. Well, and it was great for our practices, too. Uh, we have very competitive practices because guys knew that they were going to get an opportunity. Um, and, and, and it wasn't, hey, if you have a bad practice, we're not going to play you. It was, a, it, we had a lot of different versatility. You know, our, our players were kind of like that utility infielder. We had a lot of guys that matched up differently. And, and in our league, you know, there's Gonzaga with huge, huge uh, bigs, right? And, and then you had teams like maybe uh, LMU who didn't have quite as many bigs, and they played they played four forwards. So you had to have different lineups and different uh, flexibility, and that's kind of where all 12 of these guys bought into a role and said, hey, this could be my game. And we would go into that week and saying, hey, man, stay ready because – uh, at the end of the day, you're going to get a shot. And they kind of developed the mantra, you know, you, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And that kind of carried over and it pushed our guys to be to be really good. And, man, it was a fun season because everyone was so selfless and everyone, you know, you'd watch our bench and sometimes you'll see some guys late in the year that are just checked out. But everyone was checked in and everyone was having a good time. That's great. I love that. So looking back earlier in your career, is there anything you know now that you wish you knew when you started out? You know, I, I think as as a young coach and as a, you know, a, a young person, you kind of think that you got the answers for everything. Um, and you're almost listening 
to prepare for a response rather than just listening to put it all in, you know, to, to absorb what you truly are trying to learn. And, um, you know, I think if I was younger, I'd probably take a little bit more open mind to some things. Um, but at the same point, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade the, the hard work, the work ethic or anything like that. Um, you know, so there, there isn't a ton that, it, you know, I've been pretty happy with my career path. I've, I've really enjoyed everyone that I've worked with and worked for. Um, I've learned a little bit of everything, you know, le- learned a little bit of something from everyone. Um, you know, and there's some guys that I worked with that aren't even in coaching anymore and, and we still stay in contact and, you know, I, I try and get their perspective on a lot of different things. So I think as you grow and you mature, you're, you're a little bit more open minded to things. Um, you know, and, and, and you kind of, you're a little bit more confident in what you are because you've been there for a while. Whereas a young guy, you know, sometimes you can kind of, I don't know if you call it like the cock of the walk, right? You kind of think you, you've made it and you kind of, you kind of are so defensive and, and think everyone's trying to attack you when that's not necessarily the, what they're trying to do. They're just trying to question, you know, your beliefs and, and trying to get you thinking from a different perspective. So that would probably be the one thing. So going back to sort of moving uh, or investing in yourself, I know you take your physical health pretty seriously. Are there any other ways that you would like listeners to know um, that you kind of allocate time, money, resources into yourself personally, not professionally, as far as, again, physical health, mental health, relationships? Well, I think number one is when you talk about physical health, it's, you know, if you're not around to enjoy the fruits of your labor, why are you doing it? So you, you have to have some type of release and whether that's you know, CrossFit's big now, right? You know, whether that's CrossFit, whether that's just going to the gym uh, and, and throwing some weights around, maybe you, you really enjoy running or cycling, um, whatever you really enjoy doing, you got to make time for it. And if that's getting up a half an hour earlier, believe me, it's going to be beneficial for you because it's going to keep you healthier in the long run. And then on the other side of it, you, you know, not only the physical health, but the mental health. The mental aspect of it, you know, our, our society and our culture, I think, is so much like work, 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 that you never really take time to sit back and smell the roses. So you got to have some type of mental decompressor, relief, or you know, whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation, whether it's reading a book, whether it's you know just spending time with your family, going for a walk, you know, unplugging, unplugging is is such a big thing. I mean, I think you know. It, people get so caught up with the here and now or, you know, the FOMO, the fear of missing out of something. It's like, listen, it's going to be there. It's always going to be there. Just, just take some time to decompress. So, um, you know, whether, whether your gym membership costs a hundred bucks or costs $2 because, you know, you don't have a gym membership, whatever it is, you got to find something that you truly love to do outside of, you know, your, your business or your job. And and that's got to be a release for you. No, I love that. You, you dropped a lot of good nuggets. I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and listening to this here. If I, um, so if I gave you some cash and some time off from work, is there a way that you would allocate that or invest that towards making investments in yourself? It could, it could, it could be career or personal as far as like give you an idea, like, you know, coaching clinics or, learning a new scouting software or vacation or any of the above? Well, I think, I think there's so many great teachers out there and so many great, you know, in terms of basketball coaches that I'd, I'd love to just go around and, and spend a week with some of them, 
um, you know, and some of the top names in the business, you know, the, the, the Tom Izzo's, you know, the, the coach Calipari's, the coach K's, the Roy Williams, you know, all those guys that have been doing it for so long and, and just being able to pick their brains and kind of watch and, and learn things from them. I mean, I think, you know, one, one thing that I really enjoy doing is it's almost like a cross training type, right? So I want to study the best football coaches. I want to study the best soccer coaches. I want to study um, the best hockey coaches, you know, what are they implementing? How are they teaching their players? What are they doing that sets them apart? Because I think there's a lot of different things and, and sports are taught in different ways as well. What can I take from them in order to implement into our program or our culture, our team that's going to set us apart or kind of give us a leg up? Uh, I think those are, those are huge. You know, just being able to go around and, and spend time with people and spend time with great leaders, uh, great, great people with, with different mindsets that are able to cultivate a following. You know, there's a lot of people out there, you know, I always, uh, I watch a documentary on Tony Robbins, you know, like I want to go to the Tony Robbins thing, man. <laughs> I want to go to the, the Tony Robbins retreat. I love, you know, some of these other podcasts and stuff like David Goggins. I mean, I know a lot of people, he's got a lot of clips out there on Twitter and different things. David Goggins is a freak, man. He spent a month with a dude one 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 time, and I heard that story. I want to go out and I want to see what David Goggins does on a day to day thing, man. I want to experience that because he's just a he's a mental freak. <laughs> Beautiful, I love that. It sounds like you have a long list, and uh, hey, no pressure, man. You might uh, you might want to start a podcast. It's a sort of a, uh, it's an easy way to get people to talk to you, and you can. Maybe get a lot of those coaches and other other people to talk to you for an hour, and uh, and you know, soon they'll hope that they won't face you on the court because you're going to know all their secrets. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, that's part of it too. Is that you know, there's some people in in these professions that oh, I can't give away my secrets. Like, listen, there's there's no secrets out here. Like, everyone knows what you're doing. It's just just a matter of you know, how can you teach it and how can you execute it. So. No, I, it's a great idea. I might, uh, you might, see, you might have to come on my next podcast here. So be wary of it. <laughs> and I, I got a recommendation for you. Um, there was a really interesting interview by Michael Lewis. Uh, he was talking. It was a story about this guy named Tim Gallmer. It was on Michael Lewis's podcast. He wrote the book, The Inner Game of Tennis. Have you heard of that? I have heard of The Inner Game of Tennis. Okay. Um, Are you familiar with the story with Tim Gallmer? I'm not, no. So I guess, long story short, when they wrote the book, they projected, I think, maybe 20,000 or maybe 200,000 uh, book sales, but it ended up selling for millions and millions. And it's because it ended up not being a lot more about a lot more than tennis. And the sort of basic, the quick two highlights that I gathered from this interview was... He was a tennis instructor and he stopped saying things to the people he was coaching. And he noticed there was, they had a lot more improvement sort of the less he said. And he, so he thought that was interesting. So he was looking at coaching from a totally different perspective. Um, fast forward, one of the highlights was he was giving a, I think a speech to some you know, tuba players, some high elite tuba players in New Orleans, I believe. And he doesn't know anything about tuba. He just knows about, you know, getting people to perform. And, you know, they, they, they basically said, prove it. 
and and there's a one tuba player who had a an issue where he couldn't hit a certain note or something and he went and asked the guy a couple questions about it and um made one recommendation based on the answers to the questions and then the tuba player played the perfect note uh, so it's a it's pretty interesting so i think i think you're on to something with learning from other coaches but also people from different different sports or different um you know different walks of life uh, there's so much good information out there you know that's that's the biggest thing is you want to be able to collect all the information out there and we probably just won't have enough time on this earth to be able to get everything that you want to get but man you gotta you gotta find it you know i'll leave you with this uh the biggest thing that that has stuck with me my entire life that my college coach told me and I know he didn't come up with it, but he would he would freaking pound it into our heads, man. It was it was number one, you gotta find your gift. Number two, you gotta develop your gift. And then number three is you gotta give your gift away. So it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's coaching, whether it's finance, whether it's playing the tuba, whether it's playing tennis, man. You find your passion, develop your passion, and give that thing away. Because if if you if you go six feet under with without giving away all all you know. What what was it worth to you anyways? You know, what was the point of doing it if you're not going to give it away to others and share your passion? Powerful. That's powerful. I'm going to, uh, I just wrote that down. That's great. So taking a step back away, away from coaching for a second, is there any interesting content you're, you're currently consuming as far as, um, books, movies, shows, podcasts? You know, uh, I kind of mentioned a few of them there, you know, anytime, anytime I can find something with David Goggins, just because I think his mental toughness is, is phenomenal. I'll, I'll try and do that. And then, um, I really like, you know, I think Joe Rogan does a really good job just as a conversationalist on some of his podcasts. You know, I listen with, with Kevin Hart and, uh, I think we've talked about this before, but, but Kevin Hart's just stance on, on trying to help, you know, impoverished communities and, and people with, you know, he, he, he teams with, I think it's JP Morgan Chase or something like that, or some bank. And he goes into some of these communities and just talks about how to structure wealth and how to get out of debt and how to break the cycle. And, um, his thoughts and, and stuff on it are just phenomenal. I think, I think Kevin Hart's, you know, not only as a comedian, but I think he's a pretty smart guy. Um, but a lot of, a lot of those interviews, I think Joe brings out a lot of good and has a lot of great points because he's, for the most part, he's pretty neutral on things and, and they'll explore a lot of different rabbit holes. Um, so I, I do enjoy those. That's great. And so I think you have an interesting perspective on this next question because you've coached you know, dozens or maybe even hundreds of college age men. If you had to design a course for any age, age group, what would the course be and why? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I guess, you know, so much of the stuff that we see right now is, is we're trying to help teach life lessons and how to respond from adverse situations and how to dig yourself out of, you know, maybe you got yourself into trouble or maybe you're, you know, you've had a little, little run in or some bad luck or something. I think it would probably be a course in not survival skills in terms of being out in the wilderness. It would probably be just a life survival guide. You know, when you, when you go get down on your luck or, you know, some, something bad happened where you, you've dropped money or you've gone into debt, how do you build yourself out of debt? What are the steps you take to get out of debt? Um, 
you know, different things like that, that, that they don't teach you in school, right? There's, <laughs> they don't teach you just a, a whole lot of life survival skills in school. They don't teach you, you know, uh, you know, thanks, thankful for the Campbell County School District that, that taught us how to write checks. But, you know, there's some people that, that don't even know how to balance checkbooks or don't even know how to balance a budget um, and don't understand how to budget. Uh, all those different things, I think, are, are very important. Um, how to how to meet and greet people, life survival skill, how to make a first impression, right? There's a lot of times, especially in this day and age with, you know, social media and, and phones and iPads and everyone is so glued into their technology pieces that we've lost how to interact as a society. Um, so there are a lot of awkward and weird interactions and people can't sit down and talk face to face. They don't enjoy it. They're uncomfortable. So these are all things that I would put into my life survival skills uh, course, I guess. I love that. So it's not like uh, survival skills where you got to live off the land, but sort of real life, modern day, um, you know, life skills. I like that. Yeah. How do you survive in society? You know, how do you do it? <laughs> you know, how do you do it? How do you survive in society now as it's changing? You know, and, and you can you can have it for for young adolescents coming up and you can have it for. Uh, you got to tailor a course to the, to the people. And I know I'm growing up into that age bracket where, you know, you start to become 40, 45, 50, 55, and, you know, technology's passed you by and times are changing. So how do you reintegrate yourself back into current society and current culture, modern culture? Uh, I think that's a great point. And, you know, a lot of folks believe, and maybe they're right, that coding is the future. Everybody needs to learn how to code. But I'm sort of on the other side of that. And well, you know, people or real life skills are, you know, they're, they're going away. So, you know, that might be the differentiator in the future. You know, in 20 years, if you can have a conversation with somebody, maybe that's going to be the differentiator. Yeah, I I mean, I hope not, but it very well could be. I mean, it's, we're becoming isolationists. And obviously, the, the, the virus and everyone shutting down and having us be in your own houses for an extended amount of time, that, that doesn't help by any means. But, you know, at the same point, uh, I think humans naturally evolve and, and, and they adapt and they're such awesome creatures, man. We're such awesome creatures that we'll figure out a way to make it work no matter what. Absolutely. So if you're going on a one hour run tomorrow and you're, you are forced to listen to me talk to somebody is there anybody you would recommend or anybody you would want to listen to me have a conversation with? You know, I, I think that uh, I listen to a podcast and, and I, you may have heard me say this before, but I think the guys from Ben and Jerry, man, the founders of Ben and Jerry are just awesome. Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I think they're, they're freaking stand up dudes. They're really good people, man. And I think they're, they're the reason they started the the company and and what they stand for and how they give back to to the to the culture is is awesome so i think you you'd really enjoy it i think you guys could have a heck of a conversation because um they're very laissez-faire i guess in terms of hey they go with the flow but they're very structured in different parts of their life as well well, you'll have to make the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me get right on that. <laughs> so, so flipping the question around to you, if you had um, sort of related to the previous question of if I give you a lot of you know, time and money, you would go have all these conversations, right? But if you only had one hour and you could interview 
any guest on your own show, you know, past or present, who would it be? It's a great question. Um, you know, I think that I would love to be able to sit down with my college coach again and just talk and just talk basketball, talk life, talk different things with him. Um, because he was such a, he could captivate a room in, in a heartbeat, you know, like in, and he, it could be from all different walks of life. It didn't matter. Um, he could, he could find a way, he could find a point of contact with you and he could relate it back to different things. And he could, he could tell a story and he'd be going off to the right and he'd be like, where's he going with this? And he'd circle it right back into where it started and bring it all back together. He was an unbelievable storyteller. He was a great conversationalist. He was a wealth of knowledge. He read a ton. <clears throat> you know, he was, he was passionate about a lot of different things. So just to be able to have that opportunity and, and get him to, to speak again on the things that I want him to speak on because I'm asking the questions, that would be, that would be great. And what's the best place online if anyone wants to get in touch with you? Obviously, it could be someone interested in uh, coaching or wants to talk X's and O's or um, a young player. Is there email or social media that works best? Yeah, uh, obviously they can go to, you know, they can Google search my name and they'll find me on the, the University of Pacific, PacificTigers.com website. Um, they can email me at lwicks at Pacific.edu. Uh, That's W-I-C-K-S. Um, and then obviously there's uh, got a Twitter, Coach L. Wicks. Uh, is that handle? And, and Instagram is, um, I believe, let me just double check so I don't give you one yet. It's just L. Wicks 5 is my Instagram. So um, those are all public accounts. They can follow me. They can, they can DM me. Uh, we can link up that way or they can shoot me an email as well. Um, happy to answer any inquiries and, and talk shop with anyone. That's great. No, that's really appreciated. So uh, we'll let you off the hook. It's been great having you. Any uh, any parting thoughts for our listeners? You know, the biggest thing, like I said, man, I think it's it, you got to find out what you enjoy doing. And you got to develop that thing. And, and it's going to be easy to develop because obviously it's what you love doing. It's your passion. And then just give that stuff away. Don't hold it for yourself. Give it away. You'll make the world a better place. You'll feel better about yourself because you're helping others. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to be more of a servant leadership. We need to have some servant leaders out there. We need to serve others and, and help others in, in times of need. And that'll come full circle for you. Luke Wicks, 2020. Uh, you might ha you might have to uh, jump into the election, man. I think you, you dropped some you've dropped some gold, and it's been great having you. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. All of the show notes and links can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to share it with a friend or leave a review. Reviews help the show get noticed. The best places to leave a rating or a review are iTunes or Spotify. Mike Troxell owns Modern Financial Planning. All opinions expressed by Mike or guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of modern financial planning. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions.